Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Stop right there. How many of you have four fingers and a thumb on your hand? All right, hold, hold one of them up if you're left-handed. Maybe you're left-handed if you're right-handed. You're right-hand. I'm going to use my left hand even though I'm right-handed, but I want to explain this to you. I just want you to understand this. You have a mnemonic learning device attached to your body this morning. It says, and he gave some to be apostles. I'm going to explain these in a moment. And some to be prophets, point. And some to be evangelists. Don't lift that one up by itself, but evangelists sometimes tick people off, right? Sometimes the evangelist is the one that comes in and gets people stirred up. I'm a little bit of an evangelist, and I sort of plan on stirring people up this morning because we're not doing our job as the church. We're just not doing our job. I didn't come to tell you you're not doing your job. I came to say we're not doing our job together, right? Evangelists. And then pastors, hold up your your ring finger there. Do you know that they say that you're ring finger has a vein that goes all the way to your heart. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how I remember this because pastors have been given the heart of God for his people. And then there are teachers and some people believe pastors and teachers are the same thing. You can believe whatever you want, but there's the fivefold ministry. The apostle, what's the apostle do? The apostle touches, take your thumb and touch every one of your fingers The apostolic ministry touches the prophetic, it touches the evangelistic, it touches the pastoral and the teaching ministry as well. Let's continue on this morning. These were given, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about by the wind of every doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to be according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Say body. God wants his body together. Right? He's made a body, and we, those of you that are born again this morning, you're a part of the body of Christ. That's one of the descriptives that the scripture works. God wants his body together, right? Your body really isn't a body if somebody takes a machete and cuts off your four fingers, and one of them's over there, and one of them's over there, and one of them's over there, and one of them's over there. Just because they're detached, as soon as they're detached, they're no longer a part of your body. Somebody say amen. Do you believe that? In fact, we would take you to the emergency room with your fingers in hopes that the surgeons could reattach them to your body because your fingers will not live without being attached to your body. And it's the same with a believer. A believer will not live without being attached to the body of Christ. Now, I just want to say this, and I'm going to say some things boldly, and they're going to irritate some people and rub them the wrong way. But we'll rub you back up the right way before the end of the service and you'll be feeling good. But you just have to understand this. 
The body isn't the body unless you're connected in it. If you're a leg, if you're feet, and you're not connected to the body, the body can't go where the body's supposed to go. If your fingers, if your hand, if you're part of the arm, if you're a shoulder and you're not connected, nothing else is connected because you're supposed to be connected, but you're supposed to be a connector. Are you listening to me? The Holy Spirit's not just the connector. You, with the Holy Spirit in you, become a connector and you begin pulling people. This is why not many people sit in the front row. You begin, because I'll pull them into my message. You begin pulling people into the kingdom, right? That's another word for the body of Christ. And as you're pulling people into the kingdom, you're connecting them with the life-giving power of Jesus, with the kingdom of God, right? That's why it's not enough to just pray a prayer and become born again and then go and live our lives the way we want to because there's no life in those lives. The only life is inside of the kingdom. The only life is inside of the body. And so Paul is teaching the church in Ephesus, which, by the way, I love the book of Ephesians. I love to teach the book of Ephesians in North America, especially. Why? Because I think there are some significant parallels between the marketplace prominence, the the high, uh, the, you go to some countries even today and there's not a high value given to their economy. They're third world and they're in poverty and they don't, they're in poverty um, because choices have been made for them, but they're in poverty because they make choices too. Just trust me, I've been there. They make choices and they don't have the equipping and the understanding to walk at a level that some of you walk at. The church in Ephesus was one of the things that was happening there is it was very very much a marketplace culture. It was very much a marketplace culture like it is today. Everything has a price tag attached to it. Everything has a dollar amount attached to it. The, the clothes that you're wearing, you probably know how much you spent for them. You're either proud of what a deal you got or you're proud of the fashion that you're wearing because of the money you spent for it. Amen? Do you agree? We're in one of those categories, but everything has this price tag and everything, everything in the... the uh, um, this culture in the city of Ephesus was based of, uh, around this marketplace theme in a way. And Paul begins teaching them because they think that they might have value if they're standalone. And he's, one of the things that he's telling them is that they don't really have any kingdom value, which is lasting value, unless they're connected in the body. And by the way, he's saying, just because you're connected in the body doesn't mean you've gotten everything that you needed to have because unless you're together and you're ministering to one another and the Holy Spirit is ministering through you, you don't have everything that you need. Meaning that you can't have all the gifts that you need spiritually to survive. Somebody say amen. You have to be connected in the body. God didn't give every gift to one man. God didn't give every gift to one woman, but he gave gifts. He dispersed gifts in such a way that uh, it changed and transformed not just one, but the whole into one. The scripture says that they would become a picture of the fullness of Jesus Christ. And there's a lie in the world today 
that you could become a picture of the fullness of Jesus Christ and not be connected in the body. And I'm refuting that today, and it's irrefutable that you, that it's irrefutable truth that you must be connected within the body to walk in the value that God created you to walk in. Somebody got it. I, I said, I said, it's irrefutable. You can't argue with it. There, you know what? There's spirits that try to argue with these things and come. They try to puff us up. They try to come against us. They, we think they're building us up when they're setting us up for a fall, right? It's pride. We think, you know, we'll get built up by things in our minds. Some of us are legends in our own minds, right? No, no, this is what I'm speaking to you about today. You're really nothing until you're connected with Christ. You're really nothing until you're connected with His body. Let me speak about value for a moment. This isn't in my notes, but I want to share this with you. I was thinking about this the other day. Every one of us has no value without Christ. Every single one of us, it doesn't matter what we can do, doesn't matter how many businesses you own or you've owned, doesn't matter how many continents you've been to and preached the gospel, I'm talking about me with both of those, it doesn't matter how many kids you have or you don't or money you have or you don't or clothes you have or you don't or what you have or you don't or what you drive or you don't, none of those things matter, it doesn't matter about your history, every single one of us is a zero. Every single one of us, no matter how much of the Bible we can quote, I think it's a good idea to memorize the Word. I think you should memorize the Word, but it doesn't matter how much you know, right? I think I've memorized somewhere between 2,500 and 2,600 scriptures, and I'm still a zero if I'm not connected in the body, because God's not going to flow through that and use that. The only one that's a one, the only one that's whole is Jesus. I want you to just think about this in your mind. If I was smart enough to think about this earlier, I would have put it in, uh, I need 10 volunteers. Just stand up, 10 people really quick and run down here. I'll just use you really quick. Just stand, 10 of you, you can count, run down here and get in a line. Face, face that way. Get in a line close to each other like you like each other. 10, that's not 10 yet. I'm not counting, but that's not 10. Run up here. Somebody run up here. Why is it all old people? We need some young people. Somebody run up here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There we go. You're beautiful. Now you got to get together. Y'all aren't good at following the instructions all the way. There we go. There we go. It's nice that you stand there because this is my dad. Everybody give my dad a hand. He's going to be Jesus today. He was Jesus to me for a long time. But listen to me. Listen to me. That means he's a one, but everybody else here is a zero. This is what I want to say. When you are a zero and you get close to Jesus, it adds value to you because his one becomes a ten. When she reaches over and connects with somebody else, right, and there's a connection and this becomes the kingdom, that ten becomes a hundred. They're still zeros, right, becomes a thousand, but they're still, they didn't change, but they're changed because they're connected with Jesus. 
10,000, right? 100,000, and on, and on, and on. And it multiplies until you're the last zero, right? And at some point, there's going to be the last zero. This is biblical. I just want to give you this illustration because the scripture says that the 11th hour worker will get the same wage. You know why she will get the same wage? Because she added the most value to the equation. You guys can be seated. Thank you. I want to tell you that if you're connected within the kingdom, if you're connected within the body, Jesus begins to do something through you because of who you're connected with. I want to tell you this. It's not how smart I am, the places that I've got. It's the connectedness that I have that opens the doors. I'm not talking about in the natural. I was in business and I know it's not what you know as much as it is who you know. I'm talking about the kingdom and I'm saying who I am connected to in the kingdom is what brings the release and opens the doors and provides the way forward that God has promised me in my life. In other words, I'm referring to the dream that God has given me, right? God's given you a dream. God's given you a purpose. Jeremiah 1.5 says that you were given that purpose before you were ever formed. That you were formed for a purpose. That a purpose wasn't given to your form, but a form was given to your purpose. And you are the form that was given to your purpose. And God's given you a purpose, right? And it's a specific purpose, and it's a specific plan. But that plan doesn't make you a one. That plan doesn't add any value to you until you're connected with Jesus, and then it doesn't add value to you. It adds value and glory to his name and to his kingdom. Somebody say amen. God's got a purpose for your life and he's got a plan for you. So I want to talk to you about three things really quick. I promise you I won't keep you long. The first thing I want to talk to you about is my role. My role. I'm the senior pastor of this church. This is your first time here. I'm sort of loud, I'm kind of animated, I'm really bossy, but I radically love Jesus, okay? And uh, I want to I tell you this, I want to talk to you about my role. That's why we read uh, Ephesians chapter 4, my role. Somebody say, your role, say that to me. I'm talking to you about my role, and my role is equipping the saints. My role is not the work of the ministry. My work of the ministry is equipping the saints because of the seat that I've been sat into by Jesus. You say, wait a minute, that might be be going a little bit far. Listen to me. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are not gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're like, wait a minute. No, no, no. It, It says right here, it says right here, that uh, And he himself gave. Who is he himself? That's not the Holy Ghost. Who's he himself? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus gave. You say, wait a minute. Does it really matter? No, it sort of matters because there are gifts of the Holy Spirit that we can all operate in, that we can all ask for, and these aren't on this list. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers... Our offices, our gifts, our gifts from Jesus, the gifts of the Spirit are for ministry, they're for manifestation, they're for motivation, right? But, but listen to me, in these fivefold office of ministry, these fivefold gifts to the church, 
They're not gifts given to a person. They're gifts given to a body. No, no, I'm going somewhere with this. I want you to catch this. There's not... The, 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 uh, this, is what our, this is what my pastors would say. The apostolic gifting that's on my life is not a gifting that's for me. It's a gifting that's for the body. So I, I say this with, humbly, and you can laugh because we shouldn't take ourselves too serious, but I'm a gift to you. God's given me as a gift to you. He's called me to lay down my life as a gift for you, the same way he laid down his life for the church. These are these gifts that are produced. They're gifts from Jesus to the church, men given to the body of Christ. I'm a gift to this church. The other good news is you can't give me back, right? <laughs> we got some gifts that Christmas where we're like, oh, I'm not sure it's the right size. I must have gained a little weight. You know, I'm not sure if I like that color. You can't give these gifts back. The gifts that Jesus gives to the church, right? The, those gifts, the Bible says the giftings and callings of God are without repentance. And all five of these things do the same thing, but in a different way. You know what a prophet's for? A prophet, according to Ephesians 4, is not given to the church to prophesy, but to teach the church and equip the church in prophecy. An evangelist does not exist in the church to evangelize, but to equip the church to be evangelists. A pastor is not given to the church to shepherd the people, but to teach the people how to raise up and shepherd and cover. Right? A teacher isn't given to the church just to teach and them sit and listen, but them learn and then turn around and teach. Somebody say amen. An apostle isn't given to the church just to apostle. Wait a minute, that's not a verb. They're sent ones, right? Apostles aren't given to the church just sent to that place to just be like, well, I'm here. Apostles are sent to stir up the church that they would not just gather, but they would send. That they would not just that they would not just continually gather, but that they would pray and they would missionally send people to the uttermost places, even if that's twenty miles away, right? To whatever place God is calling. Are you with me? My role is to equip you to do the work of the ministry, to spot to spot gifts in a group. You know what I love to do? I, I, our, our, our elders would even say. Sometimes it's one of my downfalls. I can see gifting in people, but I can't always see character, right? Sometimes I got, you know, God gifts people. He gives us gifts, but sometimes we don't always have the character yet to sustain the gifts. And they'll be like, wait, hold on for a minute. You know, don't, yeah, I've put people into things and I've released things onto people that have hurt them, right? Not because it was the wrong thing, but because they weren't ready. Because, because people in the fivefold ministry that God's given to the church have a capacity to see the hidden gifting that's been put into somebody and begin to call it out of them. That's why you got to be real careful when you're around somebody that that's God's given to that because they'll begin to say things and you'll be like, no, that'll never be me. And I remember when Johnny Wade Sloan looked at me 
I think it was 21 years ago this year. I have, I'm not doing the math, but I'm 20 or 21 years ago when he looked at me in the hallway of a church and said, and I was tongue-tied. I was afraid. I couldn't speak in front of people. I'd recently, a few years earlier, failed a speech on how to make macaroni and cheese. And he looked at me. He didn't even say hello. And he said, you, young man, will preach the gospel to thousands in many nations. God's going to use you in a big way. And you know what my flesh wanted to do? I wanted to argue with him. I wanted to give him every reason why he was wrong. And he didn't even know me. How did he have a right to... God had gifted him to the body to call out and to stir up gifting that was hidden inside of people. It's the first reason why we need the church. That, that's enough about my role. I want to talk to you about your role today. I want to talk to you about your role. You say my role. Talking to you about your role. Talking to you about your role together, but you have an individual piece and a part in it. You know what your role is? Does anybody have an idea of what your role is? If I could make it just, if I could boil it down and condense it and simplify it into one phrase, it would be simply to be available. Simply to be, you say, well, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to do this? I'm type A. Well, you know, you got you to gotta kind of tell us what things are going to be like in the end before we start so we know if we want to participate. No, this isn't your business. This isn't a club. This is the kingdom. I don't decide. He's already decided. I don't, I don't put gifts into people. He's already put them in there. It's my job to call them out of people. Amen. We can seek for gifts. We can pray for gifts. But I didn't design you for a purpose. He designed you for a purpose. What, it, what is your role? Simply be available. I remember, I remember receiving a teaching years and years ago. It came back to me as I was preparing for this uh, message. And, and this sort of fits with the holidays, but don't get offended with me because I'm going a different direction than what your mind's going to think when I say this word. But we need fat people in the church. We need more fat people in the church. Fat stands for this, okay, before you get angry. Faithful, available, and teachable, but you'll never forget it because I just mildly offended you, right? <laughs> fat people, you need to get you need to get fatter. You need to get more faithful. You need to get more available. You need to get more teachable. You know what? This is hard for people. It's hard for people that think they've already arrived. Well, he doesn't know this, but I've been a Christian longer than he's been a Christian. I didn't say anything about that. Well, he, you know, what, what he doesn't understand is I already know all of the things that I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm doing them the best that I can. Now, I want to tell you that the gospel elevates, and so that means that there's always more. And that means that there's more for you. And the reason that you're not receiving it isn't because it hasn't been provided, but because you got to a level, some of you that are more mature in Christ, you've got to a level where you've limited your faithfulness where you've capped off your availableness and where you're no longer teachable. And so God's no longer able to elevate you and lift you to another level. There is another level for you if you're 70. There's another level for you if you're 90, right? There's more for you if you have a heartbeat. It doesn't matter how long that you've been in the church, if you would become faithful, if you would become available, if you would become teachable. Go to, go to 2 Timothy 2 really quick. 2 Timothy 2. 
and the, and, and the things, this is verse 2, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, 2, 2, 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he's, he's saying, Paul is saying something to Timothy, and we think this is probably Paul's last letter that he wrote while he was alive. So the longer you're alive in the Lord, I'm not talking about how old your body is, but the longer you are alive in the Lord, the longer, you, the longer you've been alive in the good news of Jesus and in the kingdom of God, the more you begin to understand that your life does not exist just for you. And this is discipleship, and this is Paul speaking to Timothy, who is one of his disciples. He's an understudy. He's doing a lot of what Paul's doing, and in some ways, if you study it, he's probably more successful than Paul was, right? And that's the way that it should be. It's, uh, succession is not successful unless there's success in the successor. Does that make sense? And so we want those that are following to do better and to do greater and to have a greater capacity. And to, so Paul's rejoicing in that, but he's still, he's, still, he's still understanding that even though Timothy is doing so well, he's got he's to continue to teach him in order for him to stay teachable. And this is the problem in the, in the church so much as we've stopped speaking to things that, are, that, 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 that people are entangled in because they've been entangled for so long. We're afraid that they're just wanting to stay the way that they are. And this is why there's got to be a presentation of oneself as you will. That's why your job is just to be available, right? It's just because if you just show up to something, God does something. You know when He doesn't do something? When you don't show up. You know the service that you never got touched in? It was the one you didn't go to. You know the outreach where God didn't use you even though you were afraid? The one that He didn't use you is the one you stayed home on. You, you get what I'm saying? Your job is to show up. You say, well, I, don't, I know some of my guests and I, don't, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I don't know how I'm supposed to connect with this. and I'm not, I'm not perfect enough. and I don't, I'm waiting until I have my things together and I've got all of my ducks in a row. Let me just say this. I understand that thought. Because in the natural, we look for able people and try to make them faithful. I said in the natural, we look for able people and we try to make them faithful. You know what? Don't get offended by this, musicians, because you guys aren't in this category. But I've been around musicians for the, for the last 25 years plus. And uh, in music, we look for people that are able and we try to make them faithful. And it doesn't work. You guys have been on worship teams long enough. These guys are sick, gifted, but they're they're more faithful than they even are able. I said they're more as long as you stay as long as you stay more faithful than you are able, God will use you and He'll continue to elevate you. But as soon as your faithfulness drops below your ability, doesn't matter what your ability is, the Spirit of God will stop flowing through you. Because God will take faithful people and He will make them able. God will take people that are willing and He will equip them. That's my story, right? There was, there was in, in, in the Bible colleges that I went to, there was 
more people that were more capable, that were more able, that had more of a right, that had more of a knowledge. There's people even in my life that they know more about the scripture. They have more degrees. They have more things. And you know what? That's not just what God's looking for. We need to study. We need to invest into these things. But God is looking for a faithfulness in his people. And the enemy uses something against us uh, called perfection. Have you ever heard of that word before? Perfection? And uh, I listened to somebody talk about perfection. And they, they talked about, uh, just recently, they were talking about sitting with a, a, a psychologist and talking about perfection. And they said, who do you think struggles with perfection? And I'm like, boy, this is, appeals to me. I love psychology. I... I I may or may not have struggled with perfection before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to this, right? I'm going to see what I can get from this. Who do you think in, in, in society struggles with perfection the most? Uh, and the guy says, well, I think it might be, um, I think you might be referring to like entrepreneurs or type A leaders. And he's like, no, 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 you're thinking way too, way too narrow, way too narrow, way too narrow. Um, uh, I think maybe you're thinking uh, about, uh, you know, D, dominant type personalities, right? That they just like to, they just go and they go and they go and they know you're still thinking too narrow. Finally, the conversation ends and the guy's like, I give up. And the psychologist says to him, humans, you know who struggle with perfection? Humans struggle with perfection. And we struggle with it even if we don't feel like we're imposing it on ourselves. We feel like it's being imposed on us. And the enemy does this. To Daniel, right, the, the, Bible, the Bible exudes, the gospel exudes excellence. But never once does it talk about anything being perfect but Jesus. Right? Daniel distinguished himself from among all of others, meaning governors and satraps. He distinguished himself with an excellent spirit. There only is one spirit that God's people carry, and that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will build and bring excellence. I'm speaking to business people. I'm speaking to people that are in the trades. I'm speaking to people that are in low-level positions and high-level positions. The Holy Spirit knows how to do your, your job better than you know how to do your job. And if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and sometimes Saturday, the way that you want Him to on Sunday, He'll change the atmosphere of your business, of your workplace, of your trade, because you don't know as much as the Holy Spirit knows about what you're doing. I don't care if it's music, or if you're an electrician, or you own a company, or you're retired. He knows how to do what you're supposed to be doing better than you know how to do it if you'll yield to him a spirit of excellence will start coming out of of what you're doing somebody say amen, amen. Uh, the enemy uses perfection against us perfection is your personal enemy a faithful person is not a person who never makes mistakes a faithful person is not a person who never makes mistakes a faithful person is not a person who never makes mistakes proverbs 24 16 a faithful person is a person who falls and gets back up again. Proverbs 24, 16 says, The righteous person falls seven times and they get back up again. Why does it say the number seven? I believe it says the number seven because in the Hebrew culture, seven was a number of completion. 
That means they were imperfectly perfect. If I'm perfect at something, it's being imperfect. If you can count on somebody to fall, hang around me, I stumble often. But I know how to get up. That's why you'll hear me say sometimes, I'm not afraid to repent because I'm a good repenter. If I get on the wrong path, the word repent means to change one's mind, heart, and direction. I can do that in a moment because I don't think I know everything and I don't think I have everything. There has to be a humility to faithfulness. And humility says, I'm going to fall, I'm going to let somebody down, but I'm going to get back up, I'm going to make things right, and I'm going to stay faithful. Never in, that, never in that sentence was that person unfaithful. You're not unfaithful because you fall, you're unfaithful because you won't get up. You know what's wrong with the church a lot right now? There's people that are laying on the ground everywhere, And they're spiritually dying because they're not connected with the life-giving body of Christ. Because they've gotten bitter, because they've gotten angry, because they've gotten hurt, because they've been let down, because they're jaded. And that's the work of the enemy. Because there is no perfect church. And if there was, it wouldn't be when I walked in, because I'm not perfect. If somebody can mess things up, I can mess things up. So this is what I want to say to you. This is, this is my heart for you. This is, the, this, is the end of the, this is the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020. It's a, things are going to change whether you wanted them to or not. Some of you are excited for 2019 to end because of some of the things that have been in it. And you're excited for 2020 to start because you've got a fresh vision and hopefulness and and just a desire to experience more of God's presence, those are good things. Some of you are like, it's pretty good right now. I don't want it to get worse. I don't want it to change. I can't tell you what 2020 has in store for you. I can tell you there's ups and downs. I can tell you there are hardships and there are there are blessings and, and, and the hardships even become blessings when we consider him who has went before us. But listen to me. What my heart for you to do is in the body, just start somewhere. In the church, just start somewhere. I was looking at the number of people that are a part of this body and that we see at least once a month, right? We see them here. And uh, we've got a lot of people serving. But you know what? There's more people that are not serving than are serving. You know what that says to me? It's a real spiritual thought. We need more people serving. Because you need to be serving, right? You need to be engaged. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I can't play seven instruments. I can't do, I can't, you know what? We all have a list of what we can't do. You don't even need a list of what you can do. Just start serving somewhere. Your job is just to be available, right? Somebody that, oh, they're looking for people to, be greeters at the door? I think I could greet at the door. Oh, they're looking for people to serve food at, a, at this event or that. I think I could do that. Oh, the, I see something that needs to be done. I see some things that I want to engage in. I see some, I want to come along, just do something because I want to tell you this. You don't even have to know what your gift is, but if you do know what your gift is and you don't think there's space for you, the Bible says that if you'll just be available, your gift will, will make room for you. 
So you get involved. You get your feet on the ground. You get your feet wet, so to speak. You start moving. And the movement of the body, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to shift and move things. And you're where you are supposed to be. Don't worry about where is. Just don't worry about what is. Just worry that God wants you to be planted in His body. I want to say this to you. The, 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 the next part of, 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 of your role is evangelism. You say, what about discipleship? You know what? I keep hearing this big buzz about discipleship. I love discipleship. I'm engaged in discipleship. I'm being discipled. I'm discipling people. I'm doing it every day. I'm doing it seven days a week. For some people, they think that their gifting is now because there's people that are being obedient and leading people to Jesus. Their gifting is to sit with people and just teach them some of the things that they need to know. And that might be your gifting. But understand this. Evangelists were given in the fivefold ministry, but they were given for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. We're going to talk about that assignment in just a moment. But to do the work of the ministry, you need to be engaged in in making disciples. And making disciples includes evangelism. You can't just go to a discipleship class and be discipled. You have to, a disciple's not something that you just go to. A disciple's not just something that you do. A disciple is something that you are. And disciples make disciples. And disciples are made by disciples. And so it takes the body to bring discipleship. I wasn't just discipled by one person in the beginning. I'm not just discipled by one person now. You're not discipled because you come to church on Sunday. You're not discipled because you heard 52 messages in this room a year. You're discipled because you're connected and you have relationships. But I want to say this about evangelism because here's what I know. If people, I might be a little bit of an evangelist, but here, let me just say this. If people are winning people to Jesus, they're concerned about discipling those people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, though you have 10,000 instructors, you have not many fathers. He was talking about being an originator of somebody's faith. Not that he did something, but he was there. He led someone to the Lord. And because he led them to the Lord, he was concerned about their spiritual well-being. And I'm saying this, when you begin to lead people to the Lord, you begin to get concerned about their spiritual well-being. And you'll get involved, and you'll pour into them, and you'll pull them into the body. And it won't be just something that you do. It will become something that you are. So how do we, how do, we do evangelism? I just want to give you these five things really quick. Number one, accept the personal responsibility. How do you be an evangelist? Accept the personal responsibility. If you don't accept the personal responsibility to win souls, you're not going to make disciples. You know what? You don't need to go around and look for people that are other Christians so that you can meet with them and make them feel better about being a Christian. You need to go and do the work of the ministry. Accept the personal responsibility. Build a personal relationship. You know what? I've never one-on-one led somebody to Jesus that I didn't take the time to let them know that I cared. Somebody doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's been said before. That's not my words. Thirdly, share your personal story. 
Do you know you have a story? Do you know if you're born again, you have a story, you have a testimony, you have a story, you have things that God's done in your life that's changed you. You might not be able to quote a whole bunch of scriptures. You might not know the right place to go in John or the right place to go in Mark for what you're looking for to tell the, but you have a story, right? And your story is the most powerful story that you can tell. Then give a personal invitation. Here's what people don't do. They're like, well, if you want to follow Jesus, come, you know, I guess come find me again or come. No, no, no. You know what? There's never a better moment for somebody to decide to follow Jesus than this moment. I firmly believe that. And fourthly, engage in pers- personal discipleship. So now I talked to you about my role. I talked to you about your role. Really quick as we close, I want to talk to you about our role, our assignment, our assignment. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Qualifier. This statement was not made when the church was full of people. This statement was made when there was relatively few disciples. So in order for them to make disciples, they had to go and win souls, so to speak. They had to go and proclaim the gospel and see people born again so that they could be discipled. I want to tell you this. It's been stolen away by the enemy, but evangelism is the primary part of discipleship. Evangelism is the primary part of of what we've been called to do. Now, let let me tell you two ways that we do this. The first one is go and tell. The first one is go and tell. It's it's the primary one, go and tell. Because you go more places than you come here. Go and tell. Some of you will be at 50 or 100 different locations because of your job and because of your children and because of sports and because of... you'll, You'll encounter 50 to 100 people this next week that you'll be able to engage with personally at some level. Go and tell. Mark 5, 19. However, Jesus did not permit him. This was the demoniac that wanting to go with Jesus, right? I just want to go with you. I just want to go hang out in the church. You know, I want to quit my job and I want to hang out in the church. I just want to be there. I want to be with God's people. I understand that thought, but you come here to find me. You're not going to find me here. You're going to find me somewhere else because there, most lots of times during the week there will be a meeting here, but most of the week there's nobody here because we need to be there. Go and tell. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. It's the greatest thing that you can do. It's the greatest part of your calling to go and tell. The second part, you might say, I'm not ready for that. The second part is come and see. Come and see. John chapter 1, verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. You you invite people. You bring people. It's not the primary. It's the secondary. You can't. You know, can anything good come out of Charlotte? I've heard that a few times. Come and see. 
Come and see. Come and see. I've heard some things about that real life church. Is it this? Is it this? Is it, what do they, come and see. Do they believe, what do they believe? What are the, come and see, right? Come and see. It's an invitation. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. And it's what the Lord has for us. And so this is our assignment. This is our assignment. Are you ready? To win as many people to Christ as we can and to disciple them to win as many people to Christ as they can. It's the vision of this church. To live for God and to love others and to lead them to Christ. You say, we don't care about any other leading? No, no, no. Every other leading is subject to you leading people to Christ. You want to be better in, in, in your business? You want to be better in what? You know what? You want to be better? Get bolder. Get bolder with the gospel. Get bolder because he blesses where the gospel is released. To win as many people to Christ as we can. And to disciple them and to win as many people as they can. I'll close with this. It's 1130 right now. For those of you that have other obligations. I'm going to say this. I've got five kids. I love my kids. Uh, one of them's a teenager now, and he's in this room, so I chose to pick on him today. They say, hey, if, you, if you hang out with a pastor long enough, you'll end up in one of his sermons, so just beware, right? But uh, we've been spending time together. If uh, his room's clean, I just looked at it this morning. But there's sometimes that's not, and there's sometimes I'll be like, Alex, you need to go clean your room before you do anything else. Used to be. He's better now, but it used to be uh, he'd, you know, I'd, I'd go look later that day. I'd say to have it by four o'clock tonight, by eight o'clock, you know, whatever. The, and I'd go and look and it wouldn't be done. And you know what he would have? He would have excuses. He would have excuses. But what would it be like if he had the same excuses that we had about bringing the gospel to the people in the hurting world that we're a part of? We're a part of a hurting world. If Alex had the same excuses that we had, Alex would come to me and he would be like, Dad, well, just a second, I'm going to get to cleaning my room, but I wanted to understand better how you wanted me to clean my room. So what I've been doing is I've been committing an hour or two each day to reading up on and studying what it would look like for me to clean my room and what that would be like. Okay, I'll give you a little bit more time. And so he'll go and uh, a few days would go by if this is the way, if, if he related to me the same way we relate to the Father when it comes to winning souls and making disciples. And I would come back and I would be like, Alex, your, your room's still not clean yet. Dad, I know. But here's the cool thing I want to tell you. In Greek, in Hebrew, and in Aramaic, I can tell you the words for clean your room. You know, so I've been studying. I just wanted to show you that I, I, I've been doing what I say. And eventually, I hope to be able to get to the place where I can feel confident enough to do what you asked me to do. You know, all I asked him to do was just be obedient. You know, all I asked him to do was to just do the best that he could to his ability. And that if there was something that he couldn't do, I would come in and help do the rest. You know what? You don't stand to your feet in this room. You don't need to be perfect to carry out the gospel. You don't have to be perfect to live out the life that God has called you to live out. You don't have to be perfect for ministry. You don't have to have all of your ducks in a row. You don't need to wait any longer. Right? Because all God's asked for you is to be faithfully obedient to what he has called you to do. Hi, this is Pastor Andy Shaver. 
And I hope you've enjoyed this message. You know, the greatest joy of our ministry here is to see people encounter God in a relevant way and discover His plans and purposes for their lives. We exist to see their eternities altered through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you can have present and eternal peace no matter what your present circumstances are. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 that He has a heart for the hurting and the broken. The Bible teaches us in the book of Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 teaches us that if we confess our sins to him, Jesus is faithful to hear us and forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you to do that right now. Until next time, remember God loves you. And so do we.